Um, <laughs> I was getting settled in. I don't know. If I, was I the only one that didn't want Randy to stop? Seriously. I was. I thought, boy, I, I just sit here and listen to this lesson all day long. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you guys wanted him to stop earlier. I don't know. Imagine if he was a preacher. Seriously. Like every other week, it'd be a story from home. And Sam has to go through that a little bit. He's one. He's black sheep and a white sheep. He's a gray sheep there at our house. A uh, couple things, actually. A couple things before we begin. Um, <clears throat> I told you we were going to have a lunch on the 31st. Now, I didn't get a chance to talk to the first service about this, so I'm going to go into it quite a bit next Sunday. Uh, but we've got a couple minutes here, so I'm going to talk about it. On the 31st of January, the 31st of January, 31st January, we are going to have a lunch. We're going to serve a lunch after church for anybody in the church who has been attending for the past month, past six months, past year, okay? I'm not talking about somebody who's been here for 20 or 30 or 60 years, okay? But somebody who has been here fairly recently, or maybe it's a friend of yours, maybe it's a, a family member of yours, and and you've brought them to church over the past, uh, you know, couple months, and and really what you need and what they need is to sit down with the ministry staff or sit down with the elders or something like that and just break down exactly what this church is, what the church is, what we teach, the expectations of the church here, and the expectations of the church around the world. Um, there's a lot of times people, people come to a worship service. Maybe they're invited. Maybe they just come in the door. They're looking for something, and they, they need some answers that we don't necessarily give every Sunday morning from up here. And so I want this opportunity, and I don't care if it's one person or 10 people or families, whatever it is. If it's one person, then we'll sit down. We'll have lunch. We'll talk about the church. Uh, now, why am I telling everybody? Well, <clears throat> if there's questions you want to know about the church... Uh, and you want to be a part of this, by all means, please be there. But the other thing is, if there's somebody in your mind that you've been thinking about and kicking around, to, well, not kicking around, but if you've been thinking about to bring here uh, or to introduce to the church, now's the time. And we're going to do this throughout the year in 2021. So now's the time. Say, hey, look, we're going to have a chance for you to meet the ministry staff or meet the elders or meet uh, the Sunday school teachers, whatever it is throughout the year, and just ask any question. That's dangerous. But ask any question during this lunch that you want to ask about this body, about the church, about Scripture, whatever it is. And you can come in here and just get to know what this place is and why we do what we do. Uh, that's just one step in a couple of things that we're doing this year. But that first lunch is going to be on the 31st of January. It could be very, very small. It could be, it could be a couple of people. It could be 10 or 20 people. It could be a few families. I don't know. Uh, but over the past few months, <clears throat> I've noticed this. I've seen uh, a few families that are here and a few people that are here that I, I've gotten to get to know on a kind of a superficial level, just their name and a little bit about them. But I want to have a chance to sit down and let them ask any question that they want to ask uh, so that they exactly know what they're getting into. And I will give them uh, either the correct answer or a really good sounding made up answer. All right. So, you know, either way, we'll have a lot of fun with this. 
Uh, so that's, that's the first thing. Second thing is, again, something I wasn't able to do in the first service. I want to make sure you know we're going to get back into our children's services, our children's worship, and guys, just like every other time, we need help with that. We need teachers. We need people who, are, who know Scripture and are willing to sit down with kids and tell them Bible stories. I guarantee you, if I wasn't standing up here, I'd be back in those rooms. I would be back. I, w- I, would, I would beg to be back in those rooms teaching some of these kids about the stories that I learned and the stories that I, I knew growing up that led me to give my life to Jesus. Uh, just wonderful things. And so, guys, it's a, it's a noble calling to make that your ministry, to bring up children, to raise children to know Jesus Christ. And I, I want you to participate in that. We have our, our children's ministry is stronger than it's ever been in the history of this church. Uh, I want to keep that going. I want to keep that going. There's a lot of people who benefit from that primarily. Your children benefit from that. As they grow, they have this firm foundation of knowing who Jesus is. And uh, anyway, they have the firm foundation built upon Jesus Christ. And so you could be a part of that. If you want to know specifics, talk to Laura, talk to me. Uh, mainly threes and fours, I know that, which, is, which would be my first choice, honestly. I don't, I, but that's, that's what we need. Uh, so please be a part of that. <clears throat> Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. We are going to talk about the Magi's first Christmas. Now, over the past couple of weeks, we've talked about first Christmases across the board. We've talked about Joseph's first Christmas and Mary's first Christmas. And, and by the way, if you think back to Joseph and Mary's first Christmas, it really wasn't great, right? I, there's one moment that's really great, and that's when Jesus is born, and there he is. Pretty much everything leading up to it wasn't great. Pretty much everything right after that wasn't great. I mean, after that, they're on the run. They flee to Egypt and all kinds of crazy stuff. Before that, you know, there's these incredible revelations and this, this, this heap of responsibility dropped upon Joseph and Mary and then, and then their relationship and society that's around them and all of this stuff. So it wasn't particularly great for Joseph and Mary, although we do know that Mary said yes. We do know that God chose the right man for the job in Joseph. And we also know that as Jesus was born, or very, very soon, the same day that Jesus was born, Shepherds were, were, were made aware of this, and they came and they got to worship, they got to see, and they got to spread the word. They got to tell, they got to talk. They were the right people at the right, right time, and they chose to be the right people, right? They chose to participate in this. <clears throat> now, today we talk about, from a little bit different perspective, the Magi's first Christmas or the wise men's first Christmas. Um, it's interesting, I think, that we call them wise men. We call them those who know, those who understand, those who are knowledgeable. But it's not just that. It's also those who act upon what they know, what they understand. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the wise men. We thank you, Father, for the Christmas story. We thank you for all of these wonderful things that, that, that give us this meaning and purpose and value in life. We thank you, Father, that we can continue to have the same hope and the same, the same joy, whether it's today or whether it's tomorrow, no matter when it is, that we live eternally with Jesus Christ through all the struggle and all the trial and all the tribulation that we find in this world, that one day we know that Jesus makes it right again, and we know that that's ushered in at Christmas. And so we thank you, Father. We thank you also for these men and these women that we see in Scripture that we can use 
as, as examples and guides in our own life. Help open our eyes today. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so we're in chapter 2 of Matthew, looking at the wise men. The wise men, the magi, show up a little bit later, a little bit after the birth of Christ, but they're a part of the Christmas story. And I don't want to leave them out of the Christmas story. I like that they're a part of the Christmas story. So chapter 2, starting in verses 1 and 2, we find this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, so that's our first clue, after. Not the night of, not the day of, but after. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who's been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So this is after the birth of Jesus, but still during the time of King Herod. It gives us a first glimpse of how much time has passed. A little bit of time, but not a whole lot of time. Days, months, possibly years. No, probably not more than two years later. And this is during the reign of Herod the Great, by the way. Herod the Great. There's one thing you need to remember about Herod the Great. He was not great, okay? There wasn't anything great about Herod. In fact, Herod the Great was a really, really, really bad guy. And he was the first Herod. He was the first Herod of the Herodian line. There's about 16,000 Herods in Scripture somewhere, okay? It's hard to keep them all straight. Actually, there's not, but there's quite a few. If you're curious about how many Herods or what Herods are where, I have a neat little study guide that I've put together, and you can have this for yourself. I can make a lot of copies of this. All the different Herods that you're going to read about in Scripture, a description of who they are, where they are, where they're found in Scripture, the time that they live. Because sometimes we'll read through Scripture and we'll see King Herod, and then we'll get to Acts and we'll see King Herod, and we'll think, wait a minute now, what's going on here? What's the timeline? What are we? There's a bunch of different Herods, okay? And you can have one of these things. I put this together. I'll even sign it for you if you'd like. You can put that on your wall. Right? As you're reading through Scripture, you know where the Herods are. But this is during the time of King Herod. Magi from the east came to Jerusalem looking for Jesus. How many? Of course, we don't know. We talk about that story a lot. We, we, there's three gifts identified, and so often we say three magi. Uh, but there could have been two magi. This is plural, so there could have been two. Maybe there were a hundred. I don't know. There was a bunch of people. Who knows? We do know this, that they traveled in massive, just very large caravans so that they were protected for a long journey. These guys are going to travel anywhere between 800 and 1,000 miles. And so they travel with a bunch of people. I mean, when they come into town, everybody knows it. This wasn't slipping in the back door. Everybody knew that the Magi showed up in Jerusalem. The King Herod knew the Magi were coming before the Magi even got there. Massive groups of people moving through. And who were these Magi? These Magi were not astronomers. We sometimes think that they were astronomers, and they weren't. Magi were astrologers. Astrologers. And there is a big difference between astronomy and astrology. Astronomy is a legitimate science. Astrology is in no way a legitimate science, okay? There isn't anything that happens on earth that affects the heavens. There isn't anything in the heavens that affects what happens on earth when it comes to stars and celestial bodies. However, it was pretty prominent in that day, very, very popular. Shoot, people do it today. You know, astrology, and it is the precursor of astronomy, Magi is where we get the word magician, okay? So this is not, these were, these were uh, you know, seers of the stars, but they were advisors. They were advisors to royalty. They were advisors to kings. They were important people and wealthy people. But again, they're seeking 
how stars are affected or were affected or how they affected events on Earth. Once again, it's not a legitimate science. We know that astrology is a little bit ridiculous, but this star that they're following was a miracle. It was a miracle by God. It was a miracle by God through creation. Could have been a created star, specifically for this time and for this purpose, a unique star in history. It could have been an alignment of the planets. We talked about that on Christmas Eve. The word used here is aster, which simply means a heavenly body, something in the sky that's bright. The point is, whether it's unique in creation, or whether it's unique timing, or whether it is the glory of God revealed, which is what I think it is, whether it's because of revelation, we shouldn't assume that astrology is something that we should dive into just because these wise men did. Don't assume it validates astrology. To use this to validate astrology is like validating the science of talking to storms to calm them because Jesus did it once. The Magi came to Jerusalem from the east. The east of what? Well, the east of Jerusalem. The east of wherever he was sitting when he wrote this. I mean, that's pretty much it. The east of Palestine. They were most likely from Persia. That would be modern-day Iran. They could have been as far west as Iraq and as far east as Pakistan, but pretty much modern-day Iran. What does that mean? And this really gets us to our first lesson in the story. That means that these wise men, these magi, traveled minimum 800, maximum about 1,000 miles to see Jesus. They studied the Jewish texts. They were not Jews. They studied the Old Testament. And the Old Testament pointed to something miraculous happening. The Old Testament pointed to a king. The Old Testament pointed to a Messiah. The Old Testament pointed to an anointed one. A thousand miles away, they read about these things. They learn about these things. They study these things. And then they move. They move. They act upon it. Going a thousand miles 2,000 years ago was no small feat. It was dangerous. It was expensive. It, It took a long time to plan. But they read the same things that you and I read. And they moved on it. They acted upon it. On this faith. On this possibility that they might see the Christ child. When they showed up and asked Herod, they said, where's the one that's been born king of the Jews? They didn't ask if there was one. They asked, where is he? We know he's here. Why? Because we've read the same things that you and I read. and We believe these texts. We believe the prophecies. We believe the Old Testament. They were acting upon their study. Most likely these magi knew the writings of Daniel. Sometimes because these long distances, we have a hard time keeping everything in perspective. Daniel lived where these guys live, okay, many years before, but that's where he lived. That's why Daniel's written in Aramaic. Everything else is written in Hebrew and Greek, but Daniel's written in Aramaic because Daniel lived where the wise men lived. And so they're very familiar with the texts of Daniel. They're very familiar with Hebrew texts. They're very familiar with Jewish texts from the Old Testament. In fact, there's a prophecy in Daniel that even talks about the coming of the anointed one. In uh, Daniel chapter 9, <coughs> excuse me, no one understand this. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. That's a whole different 
message. We can go into that, that later. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come destroy the city and the sanctuary, the end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end, and desolations have been decreed. This prophecy was given in the same place, the same area that the wise men in that culture grew up in. Also, they may have been familiar with Balaam the prophet. Now, Balaam wasn't a very good guy, but many, many years, even before Daniel, <clears throat> Balaam prophesies about Jesus, and I like this. He says in Numbers 24, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. He will crush the foreheads of Moab and the skulls of the people of Sheth. Balaam's prophecy specifically mentions a star coming out of Jacob. So what's the point? The point is, wise men, wise people, they read, they studied, they believed, and they acted. They read, they studied, they believed, they acted upon their faith. We have opportunity, we have words, we have scripture, we have, we have lessons, we have just so many things open to us today to read and to know, to ask, to seek, to learn, to grow, to become wiser and wiser. And the big difference is that they believed and they acted. I hope that when you reflect upon your life, your family's life, I hope that when you reflect upon yourself as a mother or a father, you look at yourself and you say, I'm a wise person. Why? Because I study, I believe, and I act upon what is taught. Verse 2, again, <clears throat> in Matthew 2, and I asked, or Anne asked, where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. They came to worship the king. They came a thousand miles. These high-ranking officials in the Persian kingdom traveled a thousand miles to bow down to a king, to bow down to the anointed one, Jesus Christ. Why? Because they read the prophecies, knew the worth and importance of Jesus. Now, they were very high-ranking. There's no reason to believe they were not. Let's just, let's just keep things in perspective. If we have a hard time with humility in our heart, if we have a hard time with submitting to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, just between you and me, all right, your station here is not higher than their station was, okay? Let's just, let's just get that across. Let's just make sure we understand that. And yet these men, advisors to the king, can't wait to bow down at the feet of Jesus, recognizing that He is not just man, that He is the Messiah, the anointed one, the one read about, written about in the Word of God. They came to worship. They came from afar and they brought gifts. That is, they brought sacrifices. But I like it in verse 2 because they say this, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? They asked questions. First thing they did when they walked into Jerusalem, first thing they did when they walked in before the king, they said, where is Jesus? Who is He? Oh, we want to know more. Tell us more about this guy. We came a long way to see Him. We came a long way to find Him. Teach me. Help me to understand. They ask questions and act upon their study. And again, they were not even the Jewish people. And I think this is what troubles me the most. The Jewish people have this history, this tradition, even this family of many, many years of the Word of God, of the law, of honoring God, and here we find the birth of the Christ child, and who was the main player on the scene? Wise men from afar, wise men from the east. Look at 3 through 6. <clears throat> when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, 
and all of Jerusalem with him. When he'd called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now again, I told you this troubles me because we have two types of people here. And you don't want to be either one of these types of people. All right? The first type of person you have here is the king. You have Herod. He heard and he was disturbed. In other words, it's one who hears about the coming Messiah and absolutely hates it. Absolutely hates it. He didn't want anything to do with this. He didn't want Jesus around. He didn't want Jesus born. He didn't want Jesus moving in on her, his turf. He was afraid. He was scared. I'm telling you, the world's full of scared people. The world's full of terrified people. <clears throat> and the same thing happens. There's this incredible violence that comes out of the terrified person. That's what the, per- that's what the scared person looks like. You know that? The scared person struts like this. Sticks his little chicken chest out. Pounds and says, look at me. Look how big and strong and tough I am. Look what I can do. That's the scared person. Terrified. Terrified. The wise person is the servant. Wise person spends their life lifting up others, building up others, pursuing peace, pursuing joy. This King Herod strutting around, he wasn't great. He was not great. He was afraid because there was another king on the block. He was afraid because he might lose his prideful grip on his place. He was afraid because he might lose his position or his title or his power or his influence. He was afraid because he may need to become less and Jesus become more. Isn't that the hate that fuels so many who would reject Jesus? Isn't that the hate that fuels so many that would reject peace and joy and love and hope? That would reject kindness and goodness and self, you know, selflessness and, and gentleness and self-control and all these wonderful things. We've talked about this before. We have only one throne in our lives. You've got only one throne in your life. And if you're sitting on it, Jesus isn't. If you're sitting on it, then you're going to let yourself down. Jesus ought to be on the throne in our lives. Only one being can sit upon that throne on our minds and our hearts and influence our thoughts and our actions. Too often people, too many people, they act like Herod today. They think like Herod. They're terrified like Herod. Now compare that to what one guy says that Jesus refers to as the greatest man ever born. Compare this fear of Herod, being disturbed, all of these horrible things that Herod does when hearing about Jesus. Compare that to the guy Jesus refers to as the greatest man ever born. John chapter 3 says this, they came to John, that's John the Baptist, his students came to him and and said, Rabbi, look, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, talking about Jesus, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he's baptizing too and everybody's going over to him. To this, John replied, a person can only receive what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I'm not the Messiah, but I'm sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it's now complete. He must become greater, and I must become less. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who's from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. 
The one who comes from heaven is above all. And this is the man, after he speaks, that Jesus turns to the crowd and he says, this is the greatest man born among women. So there's an incredible difference, isn't it? Incredible difference between pride and humility. Between courage and fear. Between service to the king and service to self. That's the first type of person we find here. Herod. Don't be like Herod. Don't hear the message and reject it. Don't hear the message and hate it. Second person we find here, second type of people we find here, you don't want to be like these either. And I think this one disturbs me even more than the one who rejects it. And that is the one who heard the message of Jesus and doesn't care. The one who hears the message of the cross and doesn't care. The one who hears the prophecies. The one who has the book in front of them. Those who have the word of God and simply do not care. Or at the very least, they are not seeking like the wise men. Those are the chief priests that he brings together. Those are the scribes and teachers of the law <clears throat> that Herod brings together. At least, and again, I think that this, this, this carelessness, this apathy bothers me even more than Herod. If you hear the gospel and you hate it, at least you know where you stand. If you hate it, at least others know where you stand. At least if you hate it, you're not going to do any more damage to the testimony of the word. But what does Jesus say? He says, I want you hot or cold. I don't want you anywhere in the middle. The middle does tremendous damage to you and to those around you. You know, I, and I give you my word as I stand here. Ever since I was a little kid, I would read through this. I would read through Herod asking the chief priests and the scribes and so forth and to, to get, get the prophecy from them. Okay, what does the Old Testament say? What does it all say? Ever since, I was a, ever since I've heard this story for the first time, I thought to myself, why aren't they looking? They know. They know better than anybody else. They've got the text right in front. Why aren't they in Bethlehem? Why aren't they there to see Jesus born? Why aren't they? I don't know why they didn't move there six months ahead and camp out. Just hang out, waiting on Jesus. I've never understood that. The only thing I can come up with is these chief priests, these scribes, these, these, these religious elite were not wise men. They were not wise men. If you're not wise, you're foolish. There's no middle ground there. You're either in the pursuit of wisdom or, frankly, your lack of pursuit is the pursuit of foolishness. Chief priests and teachers of the law were not wise men. They could have been there. They could have seen the Christ child. They could have been at his feet. They could have worshipped him. They could have offered gifts. They could have been a good part of the eternal story and the word of God. <clears throat> Don't be like them either. Verses 7 and 8, Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. I mean, he's just lying, right? If you've read through the rest of the story, he's just lying to him. This is a horrible, horrible guy. See, he wanted the timing. He wanted the timing. He wanted to find out how old this child might be by now from the time this star appeared. This bright star leading the Magi, okay? And we get into a two-year zone, which tells me it probably wasn't a star. It was probably the glory of God being shown being revealed. But he wanted to find out how old the child was. He was already planning something horrendous. He wanted to kill Jesus. 
want to shut them up. We want to get them out of the way. Because when Jesus is out of the way, then the only thing, the only person I've got to serve is me. My pride, my thoughts, my wants. The only person I've got to follow, the only, the, only, the only thing I've got to think about, the only standard, moral standard I've ever got to have is whatever I invent, whatever I make up. Jesus isn't something that you have to please. He's something you have to accept. That's, that's, that's one of the biggest problems with people's description of who Christ is, that He's a deity that you must please. That's completely false. There's nothing true about that at all. Christ is a deity that you just must accept. Accept freedom. Accept love. Accept forgiveness. Herod wasn't going to do that. He wanted to kill him. He didn't get the chance to kill him. They outsmarted him, so he did something even worse than that. He killed all the kids in Bethlehem two years and under. I don't know if I've ever taught that lesson. I don't think I ever will. I, 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 don't, I don't spend much time thinking about that one. I don't know how horrible that would be, but honestly, I, I've, I've never even tried to put myself in that position. But that's the kind of person Herod was. He's a tragic figure. Not only does he destroy himself, but he's also destroying those around him because of his pride. Once again, we see this stark difference between the wise men and Herod, the self-centered and the wise, the fearful and the knowledgeable, the prideful and the humble. The magi are the heroes of the story. Verse 9, after they'd heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they'd seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was born. Once again, that word is aster. It simply means something in the sky. Could God have used a star? Absolutely. But the star was hanging around for two years and it moved from the east to the west. That's okay, but then it starts heading south. Stars don't do that. And so it could have been this wonderful glory of God being shown. And you've seen this before, as we talked about on Christmas Eve. If you look at the Exodus story, God did the same thing for the Israelites as they're wandering in the desert. Look at 10 and 11. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. They were overjoyed at the very prospect of seeing Jesus, at the possibility that they might see the king. And when they did, when they were in the presence of Jesus, what was it that snapped into them? What was it that came to their minds? They wanted to give him gifts. In other words, they wanted to sacrifice for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And this gold, frankincense, and myrrh is all very, very valuable gifts. But what's your valuable gift? What's your valuable, your most valuable gift that you can give to Jesus? I, it doesn't have to be gold. It's not frankincense. It's not myrrh. I don't even know what that stuff is. Your valuable gift is you. That's your valuable gift. Yeah, I know the wise men gave gold, frankincense, and myrrh, but that wasn't really what their gift was. Their gift was traveling a thousand miles. To see Jesus. Their gift was to be a part of the Christmas story. Their gift was the faith that they showed. Their gift was the fact that we could look at the wise men and learn from them. That was their gift. Yeah, they gave treasure. There's nothing wrong with giving treasure. People give treasure to Jesus. They gave treasure to the church, helped the church in its ministry. That wasn't the real gift. By the way, the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The actual gold and frankincense and myrrh. Do you guys know where the church keeps that? Does anybody know where the, the church keeps the actual gold and frankincense and myrrh? Nobody? 
Neither do I. It's gone. It isn't around anymore. What is around? What is around is the faith these magi showed. We're still reading about that. What is around is the distance they traveled just to see Jesus. We're still reading about that. We're still learning about this faith, this understanding, this study of the Word that wise men do. That's still around. That's the sacrifice we make ourselves, a living sacrifice, writes Paul. A wonderful gift for Jesus and for those around you. The faith of these men lasts forever. The Word of God is eternal. And now they had a decision to make. After seeing Jesus, they could either follow God or they could follow man, even though the direction of man was, in contradict- was contradicting the direction of God. Look at verse 12. Having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. And by the way, that is not the easy way out. A lot of detail is not in the Word of God sometimes. You've got to use your imagination. That's the hard way out. The easy way out is to go back to King Herod. Remember, King Herod's crazy. To go back to King Herod, say, hey, look, we found Jesus. He's over there. He's in Bethlehem. He's in a house. We're out of here. See you later. That would have been the easy thing. Instead, they're directed by God to defy the king because the king's goal, the king's objective is at odds with God's. And after seeing Jesus, after being in the presence of Christ, what do they do? We have to follow God. And so they get out of town. I mean, it really is one saying to the other, look, man, if we're going to do this, we better leave now. We better leave now. We better travel fast because they're going to be hunting us down. I mean, this was the hard way out. And they did it. They did it because they had to honor Jesus. They had to honor who God was. They had to honor the direction of the Word of God. So what do we know about the Magi? What do we see here? What can we learn? Number one, they were people who read and believed God's Word. The Old Testament wasn't even a part of their culture. And they read and believed this Word. Number two, they sought Jesus. They acted upon their faith. They acted upon their study. They acted upon this knowledge that they have gained. I'm going to tell you, you know, faith, faith without action, faith without works, James tells us, that's pretty much worthless. That's what he says. It's dead. These guys acted upon what they studied and what they knew. What else do we know about these people? They recognized the worth of Christ in their sacrifice and in their humility. They humbled themselves to worship Jesus. These these, these advisors to the king. We even call them three kings, right? And yet they bowed down to Jesus and worshipped him. And finally, when the course of man was at odds with the course of God, they obeyed God and not man. This is, if you're wondering, that summary right there, that's what it takes. If you want to be wise, if you want to pursue what it means to grow in wisdom. And because here's the thing, as we grow in wisdom, as we grow in faith, as we live that faith out, just as these wise men have done for you and me, we get to influence, to teach, to lead other people to the glory and wonder of Jesus Christ. We we talked about this at Christmas Eve, didn't we? That you have the opportunity to be stars, to shine like stars. And I don't mean your balls of hot gas, okay? I mean, you have the ability to provide this light, to provide this direction. Same type of thing the wise men do for you and for me. 
Those are wise men. Those are wise people. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that we see so many of your servants in Scripture. We thank you that we can look at their, their faith, their action. We thank you, Father, that we can look at their direction. And that you can teach us, you can lead us what it takes, what it means to seek out the true, uh, the true character of Christ. We thank you, Father, that uh, we thank you that we've got to relive this story over the past month. As Christmas season comes to a close, we know that this was just the beginning, just the beginning of salvation. It was just the beginning of Jesus' ministry, the beginning of, of this incredible character that he showed. And we thank you that even now we can be a part of it 2,000 years later. We thank you for Christmas, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and sing. If I were a wise man, I would travel far. If I were a shepherd, I would do my part. But poor as I am, I will give to him my heart. trust that the Christmas season, at least the joy, the peace, and the hope that comes along with the Christmas season doesn't die today, all right? That continues through the rest of the year. Also, a reminder as you leave, just if you're curious, uh, today is Lynn. Many of you know Lynn. Today is his birthday. 
And uh, we do have his uh, home phone if you're curious about that and want to give him a call. If you want to take my advice, don't call him today. Like all of you call tomorrow morning, like real early in the morning, and wish him a happy birthday. That would just be fun. I, I don't know why. That would just be fun. He'd be yelling at the last person who called. You know, it's not today. It'd be worth it. That's what I would do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you that days like this, in in difficult times, we can laugh and we can have joy and we can have excitement and we can have hope because eternally we're saved by Christ. We thank you for that gift. We thank you that this is nothing we have to do to earn it, nothing we have to do to, to buy it, nothing. That we get to accept this incredible love displayed on Christmas, displayed in the resurrection, shoot, Father, displayed in creation. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.